If you have a Bible, take it out. If you've got a bulletin on the way in, you can grab your notes. If you need to use your table of contents or if you're going to use your Bible drill skills, either way, find the book of Amos. Minor prophet Amos. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're talking about the minor prophets one Sunday for each minor prophet. They're minor because their books are short, not because their message is unimportant. And so this morning, let's jump right into the book of Amos. Just to set it in context so you understand where we're at in the storyline, Amos preached before the Assyrian exile of Israel. And I'll put our timeline up on the screen so that you understand what we're talking about. The unified kingdom is the nation of Israel when everyone was together under one leader. First Saul was the king, then David was the king, then Solomon was the king. Israel was unified. Then there was a fracture in the kingdom, and it was split into two. Israel was the nation in the north. Judah was the nation in the south. We call that the divided kingdom. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Then came several, several Decades, several centuries later, what we call the Assyrian exile. The Assyrian army marched on the northern kingdom of Israel, conquered Samaria, sent the people into exile, and not too long after that, the Babylonian army came and marched on the southern kingdom of Judah and took those people into exile as well. We would take Amos, the book, and the man, and we would fit him right in there, right before the exile into Assyria. If you like to really geek out on details and you want to try to get specific with Amos, you may notice that in Amos 1.1, he sort of gives you an introduction of who was king and what was going on. And he ends verse 1 saying, two years before the earthquake. We don't know when that earthquake was. There is a Jewish historian that says that earthquake happened when King Uzziah left his throne as king and tried to take over the position of high priest, and he went into the temple to offer incense. We do know about that story, and there's a Jewish historian that says when he went into the temple to offer that incense, that's when the earthquake happened. We don't know that. That's not in the Bible. What we do know is that it was a big earthquake. It was this big event that everyone remembered because way after Amos... There's a minor prophet we're going to get to named Zechariah. Zechariah is still talking about this earthquake in the days of Uzziah. So that sort of helps you with the dating if you're trying to pinpoint it specifically. That's the when. What about the where? You need to understand that Amos was sent from Judah to preach in Israel. He lived in the southern kingdom. And God told him, I want you to pack up and I want you to go to the northern kingdom and preach to these folks. So just to give you a visual, here's a map. This map shows the southern kingdom of Judah sort of in that turquoise down low and then the purple up above. And if, we, uh, if you go to the next screen, you see a sort of a blown up picture of this map. And you can see the blue is Judah in the south, Israel's the purple up above. And I've circled some cities. I circled the city of Jerusalem. That was the capital of Judah in the south. And then I also circled Bethel and Dan. They weren't the capital cities of Israel, but they were important cities. And this is what happened. When the kingdom was divided, right, when we had this fracture in the nation and Israel went its way and Judah went its way, the ruler up north in Israel was a guy named Jeroboam. At the time, they called him Jeroboam. In hindsight, we call him Jeroboam I. And Jeroboam I had a problem. 
All of these people in the, in the northern kingdom were used to taking their religious pilgrimages to Jerusalem. They didn't like Jerusalem. They didn't like Judah. He didn't want the people going down south. He didn't want them, as crass as it may be, taking their tourism dollars and dumping them into another kingdom. He didn't want his people going to another nation to worship. And so Jeroboam the first said, I know what we'll do. We'll set up our own religious centers. Samaria was the, the seat of the government, but the religious centers were established, one in Bethel, you can see down sort of in the middle, and then one way up in the north, which is Dan. So Jeroboam said, look, you have one holy city, we're going to have two. I'm going to make it more convenient for my people. We'll put one place up north with a golden calf idol. You can go worship there. Or if you're closer down south, we'll put one in Bethel. And you can go worship down in Bethel. And I'm putting all this on the screen and giving you the history so you understand. When God calls this man, Amos, to preach, he says, I want you to leave Judah. I want you to go north to Israel. And where he ended up is Bethel. In the religious cultic center of the southern part of Israel. That's where God sent this man to preach. And we're going to come back to this idea here in just a little bit. I want you to know Amos preached during an era of incredible prosperity. The economy was gangbusters. The Dow was rising. Unemployment was low. Your retirement account looked great. Everyone had a job. Trade was, was in our favor. I mean, everything was going great in Israel in the north and in Judah in the south. Right? These two kings that he mentions in Amos 1.1, he talks about Uzziah, the king of Judah, and he talks about Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam II, the king of Israel. Both of these guys held on to their throne for a long time. There were no assassination attempts, there were no coups, there was no turnover of leaders, long, stable leadership economies that were booming. In fact, things were so good in Israel in the north that Jeroboam II was able to go fight and take back some land that they had previously lost in battle. He sort of went and took on his enemies and said, hey, that belongs to us, and he fought for this land, and he got it back. Everything was great. And when a guy like Amos shows up and he starts preaching for God, the people look at Amos and they say, I don't know, Amos, everything looks pretty good to me. Looks like God's blessing us. The economy's great. Our bank accounts are full. We're taking back land that we had previously lost in battle. It sure looks like whatever we're doing is working. And into that prosperity walks a guy named Amos who says, you have mistaken God's patience for blessing. And what's really about to happen is God's going to blow you up. It was not a popular message when Amos preached it. It is not a popular message when it's preached today. Here's the summary of Amos. This is not really uplifting, but this is the summary of the book. It's a book about judgment. Judgment from beginning to end. I mean, if you had to pick one word and summarize his message, what did Amos go to Israel and say? It's judgment. Judgment is coming. God is angry with you for your sin, and he is going to judge you for your sins. Look at Amos 1, verse 2. We won't have time to read all of Amos, but look what he says in verse 2. After his introduction, he says, The Lord roars from Zion, and he utters his voice from Jerusalem. There's lots of different things that roar. 
Battles can be said to roar. Waterfalls can be said to be roaring waterfalls. Or crowds can be said the crowd was roaring. What Amos has in mind is the roar of a lion. A lion that's hunting for its prey. And Amos is saying to the people, God is angry. He is roaring. He's not roaring from Bethel. And he's not roaring from Dan. These cities where you've set up your idols. He's roaring from Jerusalem. And he's angry. And he's coming to judge his people. He hits them right out, of the, right out of the gate. Just a punch in the mouth to start the book. The Lord is roaring in Zion. His voice is thundering from Jerusalem. Now, a few things about Amos the man, and we'll jump into the book. Amos is an interesting guy. We know a little bit about him. Professionally, he was a farmer. And he lived in a city called Tekoa. He wasn't a priest. His family was not a, a prophet or a priestly family. He was just a farmer. And at one point he talks about taking care of animals. And another part he, uh, he talks about taking care of sycamore trees. And the idea is this is a man who made his living off the earth. He was a farmer. He was a rancher. He was just a blue-collar guy. And we'll put the map back up one more time. I'll show you where Tekoa is. The bottom red circle is Bethlehem. Tekoa is just outside of Bethlehem. It's not even big enough to be put on the map. Like, it's a nowhere city. It's flyover country. Nothing important happened there. No one important came from there. Just a farmer named Amos. And God sent him north right into the southern part of Israel, to the city of Bethel. God sent a farmer to preach to a bunch of priests. You can imagine what they thought when Amos rolled in with his overalls on. They weren't impressed. They weren't inclined to listen, but that's the man that God sent. He was a contemporary of Isaiah and Hosea and Jonah, and he was probably the first writing Prophet. You maybe have never heard that term, but Bible scholars look back and they say there were non-writing prophets and there were writing prophets. Non-writing prophets, Elijah and Elisha. They were prophets, they spoke for the Lord, but they didn't write any books. We don't have any books named after them, we just have some stories about them in other books. Amos possibly was the very first prophet to write his words down, which again I think is interesting. God could have called educated Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel to be the first. And instead he says, no, it's going to be one of the minor guys that goes first. Just a nobody from nowhere, a farmer from Tekoa. And I'm going to send him to all those people in Bethel who think they're big stuff, who, who are so proud of the religious system that they've instituted there. And this farmer is going to preach to those people and he's going to be the first of the writing prophets. Lastly, this is one of my favorite things about Amos. He is a sarcastic prophet. You can just read the book on your own if you want to search some of this out. I gave you one lead. We won't look at it this morning. It's chapter 4. But in chapter 4, Amos says to the people, if you read it without sarcasm in, in your mind, it doesn't make sense. He says, keep sinning. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't change, don't repent, you just keep on going exactly the way you're going. He doesn't really want them to do that, he's being sarcastic. And later in that passage, he refers to a group of women as cows. Now, 
there's some cultural difference here, and I realize Amos is a farmer, but I don't care what culture you're in. You don't call women cows. And Amos does it. He says, you're a bunch of fat cows up in Samaria. So he's a sarcastic prophet. He was a blue-collar guy. He wasn't polished. He just sort of called it like he saw it, I suppose. What was his message? What did he preach about? What did he say? I already told you that he talked about judgment. Let's try to be a little more thorough in defining Amos' message. Let's say this. Amos told the people, he said, judgment would come for the nations... Judgment would come for Judah, and judgment would come for Israel. And the way he sets it up is really a beautiful thing. It's really kind of funny. It's part of the the sarcasm that goes along with the book of Amos. We already talked about chapter 1, verse 2. Just right out of the gate, he says, The Lord is roaring. He's angry. His voice is thundering from Jerusalem. And you say, okay, God is mad. Who is he mad at? Well, look in your Bible. Amos mentions a number of nations around Israel. In verse 3, he mentions Damascus. In verse 6, he mentions Gaza. That's the Philistines. In verse 9, he talks about the transgression of Tyre. And in verse 11, he talks about Edom. And in verse 13, he talks about the Ammonites. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about Moab. Six nations surrounding Israel. And he just sort of picks them off one at a time. He doesn't go into great detail, but he starts off and he says, God is angry. He's like this roaring lion coming in judgment. Who's he angry with? Well, first of all, he's angry with all these nations out here. And the Israelites would have heard that and said, we like this guy. You know, farmers from Tekoa aren't worth much, but this guy knows what he's talking about. Absolutely, God is angry with all these people around us. And then this old farmer from Tekoa ups his ante a little bit. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 4. For three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they've rejected the law of the Lord and they have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah And it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. And everyone up north in Israel said, Amen. Amen. God is angry with all these nations around us. Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and all these wicked people. And he's he's angry. He's roaring at the people down south in, in Jerusalem. Those pompous, arrogant people who think their city is the holy city. Who think their way is the only right way. God is angry with them. And in a, a Jewish context, Amos has set it up perfectly. He's listed out seven nations that God is angry with. And his Jewish audience would say, that's a, that's a completeness to God's anger. We like this guy. And then comes chapter 2, verse 6. The right cross they never saw coming. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And the rest of the book has nothing to say about the six nations The rest of the book has nothing to say about Judah. The rest of the book focuses on the sin of Israel. And this is where those priests in Bethel would have bowed up and said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, rancher man. 
Now you're stepping on our toes. And he's totally set them up. He's given them all the red meat so that they're just foaming at the mouth. He's angry with the nations. He's angry with Judah down south. And Amos says, but most of all, he's angry with you. It's coming for the nations. It's coming for Judah. And it's coming for Israel. Look what he says in Amos chapter 4, verse 6. It's an interesting passage. We won't read all of it. You can look at this little section. Amos 4, 6 The prophet speaking to these people in Bethel, these Israelites in the northern kingdom, and through the prophet, God says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. That's not a good thing in the ancient world. What that means is you hadn't had dinner in a long time. You're hungry. There hasn't been enough food to go around. So your teeth are clean. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Again, the sarcasm. And lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. God is saying through Amos, I've tried to get your attention. And you wouldn't listen. And he goes on and he lists several other things. He says, I punished you with blight and with mildew. I sent pestilence and I sent armies to conquer you. I've done all these things to get your attention and move you to repentance. You would not return to me. And the result is judgment is coming. So that's the first part of his message. In chapter 5, Amos makes it really bad. Chapter 5, he talks about the day of the Lord. These people would have thought about the day of the Lord as the day when they were going to be rescued. And Amos says, oh, no, 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 no. The day of the Lord is coming for you. It's going to be a day of darkness and death and distress. It's not going to be rescue for you. It's going to be a day of judgment. Here's the second part of his message. He says, judgment is going to come for idolatry, injustice, and religion. Idolatry, injustice, and religion. Those are the sins that God was angry with these people about. Idolatry, of course. Bethel and Dan, they'd set up these golden calf idols. God was disgusted by it. God looked at that and he said, you've returned to the sins of, of Aaron and the, the Hebrews who came out of Egypt. You've regressed all the way back to square one. He was disgusted with their idolatry. Amos says a lot about injustice. He says, you're not treating each other fair. You're not being kind to each other. You're not keeping the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. You're unjust to the people that you live with. And then here he comes again with a surprised right hook. You just you don't see it coming. It's not expected. You say, okay, the idolatry maybe and the injustice, yeah, we could be nicer. But he says, God is actually angry with your religion. Look what he says in chapter 5. Amos 5, verse 21. He says, I hate. This is God speaking to the Israelites through Amos. I hate I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. In the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. It's just noise. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. All these religious and spiritual things you're doing in Bethel and Dan and Samaria and everywhere in between, God says to these people through a farmer from Tekoa, I hate that stuff. I despise it. 
because behind it you're a bunch of idolaters. And when you're not doing all that religious stuff, you're not kind and loving to your neighbors. So when you gather together and offer these sacrifices and and sing these songs and do these rituals and keep these feasts, I'm disgusted with what you're doing. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to come to terms with this idea right here. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's described as our good deeds being like filthy rags. A follower of Jesus is not a person who tries to do a bunch of good things for God so that God will love them. I'm going to go to church so that God will love me. I'm going to read my Bible every morning so God will love me. I'm going to put money in the offering box so God will love me. I'm going to do all this stuff, sing the songs, fill out the outline, go to Bible study so God will be happy with me. And then when you don't do those things, you think, oh, I'm kind of behind. I need to catch up. I need to earn my way. Listen, if that's your mindset, that you're doing a bunch of religious things so that God will be happy with you. Amos is saying to you, God hates that. He's disgusted by it. He just wants you to stop singing. Stop the noise. Don't come in this room and sing the song if you're going to go out of this room and chase after idols and be cruel to other people. Don't come in this room and sing the song. Just stop. He's angry with their idolatry. He's angry with their injustice. He's even angry with their religion. Number three, Amos says judgment is going to involve the disappearance of God's word and exile from God's land. Those are the two specifics he warns the people about. God's word will disappear and you will get kicked out of God's land. Take your Bible and look at Amos chapter 9 verse 4. He says, if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. My intention is to send you out of here and the sword is going to come against you. And it's not just going to be something that I let happen, but I'm going to actually be coming against you in judgment. You're going to be kicked out of this land and you're going to die. Look what he says in chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. He's already talked about cleanness of teeth, so you think, man, our, our teeth are really going to be clean now, right? Not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I've tried to get your attention. You wouldn't listen. So I'm not going to speak to you anymore. I'm not going to send any more prophets. I'm, not going to, I'm just going to be quiet. I wonder how terrible these things sound to most Americans today. That you would lose the presence of God and you would lose God's word. I think a lot of us would say, well, as long as my family's okay, as long as our bellies are full, as long as there's a little bit of money in the bank, as long as I have a job to go to, you know, we'll get by. This is the judgment that Amos promised. You're going to be kicked out of God's presence, and you're not going to hear his word anymore. What a terrible thing that so many of us don't think that sounds so terrible. What a terrible thing that when these people heard it, they thought, well, you know, worse things could happen. 
They did not return to the Lord. Last, Amos said God would restore his people through a restoration of David's line. That's the last section of the book, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. He did promise restoration. He said it's going to come through a restoration of David's dynasty, his line. And there is hope at the end of this book about judgment. My question is, what do we do with this book? Here's a farmer from Tekoa who goes up north to Bethel to a bunch of educated priests, and he preaches this message of judgment, and he does it thousands and thousands of years ago. What do we do with it? Let me just give you a few thoughts of application. Number one, we've got to reckon, and I use that word in honor of Amos the farmer, we've got to reckon with the possibility that God may send us to reach people who are not like us. You need to, you need to wrestle with that. So many times in church we say, go talk to your family about Jesus. Go talk to your co-workers about Jesus. Talk to the people who are close to you about Jesus. That's all good stuff. But what if God wants you to go somewhere else to someone who's not at all like you to tell them about Jesus? That's what he said to Amos. Amos, leave the sheep alone. The trees are going to take care of themselves. What I need you to do is go to Bethel. And Amos thinks, that's a, that's a completely different country. You want me to leave my country to go preach? I don't even know anything about preaching. I don't have any theological training. You want me to go to Bethel? They're not going to listen to me. I'm a farmer from a city that doesn't even show up on the map. They're the educated religious elite in the, the cultic center of, of the northern kingdom. Why would they listen to me? Isn't there someone in Israel you could send? The answer was there were people. The Elijahs and the Elishas came from the northern kingdom. There were people that God could have sent. But for whatever reason, God said, I want you to do it. A farmer from Tekoa. I'm sending you to do it. I know that they're not like you. I know that I'm asking you to leave your home for a season. But I want you to do it. God might just want you to tell someone about Jesus who doesn't live here. Who lives in Kenya. Who lives in Alaska. Next week we'll hear from, from our Alaska missions team. God might want you to go across the street to the person whose skin color is not the same tint as yours. Or the person in your office who doesn't speak the same language as you. He may want you to share Jesus, to share a message with somebody who has absolutely nothing in common with you. That's exactly what he did with Amos. And I want you to understand something. It wasn't all roses for Amos when he went up north and started preaching. It didn't go well. Look at Amos 7. Look what we read in Amos 7, starting in verse 10. Here's this farmer. He goes up north. He's preaching to the priests. Amos 7.10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, the priest of Bethel, the top guy, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. This is Jeroboam II. And he said, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. He's accusing him of treason. Amos is guilty of treason. The land is not able to bear all his words. You know, they love the first part about the six nations in Judah. He's talking about the rest of it where Amos talks about Israel. 
The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, the priest of Bethel, said to the farmer from Tekoa, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Can I just paraphrase what's happening in this little turf war? The priest of Bethel is saying, you're over your pay grade here, farmer. You need to go home. You're not one of us, and we don't want to hear anything that you have to say. Which sort of adds another layer to it. You say, okay, God knows the beginning from the end, the middle from all of it. Why would he send the farmer from Tekoa to preach to a bunch of priests in Bethel knowing that they were just going to send him home? He wasn't successful by any worldly definition of success. No revival broke out. The people didn't repent in sackcloth and dust and ashes. They didn't start going down to Jerusalem for the feasts. They just sent him home. What matters is that he was faithful to do what God called him to do. The results were not Amos' responsibility. Amos' responsibility was Amos. I'm calling you to go to these people. I know they're not like you. I know it's far from home. I know it means you're going to have to take vacation or get your stuff covered. But I just want you to go and I want you to say this to him. And he did it. God very well might call you. He might burden you to take the gospel to people across the street, across the continent, across the world, who are absolutely nothing like you, and you may come home just like Amos and say, well, they didn't listen. They sent me home. What matters is, will you do what God calls you to do? Amos was faithful in that. Second application. We need to remember that those who experience God's blessing will be held to a high standard. When you experience the blessing of God, the bar gets raised and God's expectations for you are higher. Look at Amos chapter 3. Amos 3 verse 1 and 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. God says, you're the only people on the whole earth that I know. You say, well, what about chapter 1 and 2? He knows about the people in Gaza and the people in Damascus and the people in Tyre. And he knows about them. But God is saying to these people, you were my people. It wasn't just an intellectual thing like I knew you were over there and I knew what was going on. We had a relationship. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt to belong to me. I did this great work in your life so you and I would be exclusive. You are the only one that I've known. You will be held to a higher standard. And he says it. I will punish you for all of your iniquities because I knew you and the bar has been raised for you. Listen, if you live in the United States, you live in the Bible Belt, you have unprecedented access to the gospel. You have unprecedented, in the history of the world, unprecedented freedom to worship and to evangelize. 
and to make disciples. Not just here, but to go all the way around the world and to make disciples in Alaska and in Kenya and everywhere in between. What are you and I going to do with that opportunity? Are we just going to sit on it and waste it because we want to be comfortable and just have our little singing club in this room? Or are we going to take advantage of it and go and do what God's called us to do? I think if Amos could talk to Christians in the United States of America, Christians who like to say, God has blessed us so much. We have a holiday called Thanksgiving where we, we remember that, and God has blessed our country, and we talk about it so much. I think Amos would say a couple of things. Number one, I think he would say, financial blessing, financial prosperity is not a sign that God's favor rests upon you. Everyone that Amos preached to was experiencing financial prosperity. And God was about to blow them all up. And we make the same argument, the same claim. Look how God has blessed us. Look how he, we are so prosperous. We're, we're so thankful for it. And Amos might just come in alongside us and say, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean God's happy with you. Just because you have a lot of money in the bank. Just because you have a job to go to. You can't equate those two things all the time. I think the second thing Amos would say to us is you have unprecedented money, access to the gospel, freedom to travel, freedom to share your faith, and you are going to be held to a higher standard. Last part of Amos' message is this. As we apply it to our lives, we repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus, the son of David. We turn from sin and we trust in Jesus. Look at what we read in Amos chapter 5. Amos 5, starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. This is Yahweh speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel. Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. For you, excuse me, O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He's saying to the people, seek me and live, but don't do it in Bethel. Don't double down on your idolatry. Don't double down on your man-made religion. Don't just go back to the things that you think make me happy. Seek me, but seek me on my own terms. And those terms are spelled out at the end of the book. Amos chapter 9, the very last section, verse 11. Amos makes a promise. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it in the days of old. This dynasty of David that's just crumbled to an embarrassing status is going to be rebuilt. One from David's line is going to come to rule over my people. The people were looking forward in faith for that day. You and I look backwards in faith and we say that someone that came is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus from the line of David, the promised one from Amos, come to rule and reign over the lives of his people. And our response when we read this book looking backwards is to say, seek the Lord. Turn from your sin and seek him on his own terms. That means turning to faith in Jesus.